Have you ever wondered about life's biggest questions? Like, why am I here? What happens when we die? Or what else is out there? Well, we have, and we love to talk about it. And if you're listening, we think you probably do too. I'm Robin. And I'm Karen. And we've spent our lives searching for those answers. And we're seekers just like you. We'll be talking to some of the most fascinating spiritual teachers, healers, and scientists and showing you how you can use some of their spiritual practices for yourself. We'll also be sharing stories of other seekers to motivate you to live your fullest life. And we'll be translating it all so the spiritual stuff won't feel so out there. So if you're curious, get ready to rediscover why we're here together. We've had the pleasure of getting to know Michael over the past year and a half, and we're excited for you to get to know him as well. Michael bridges two very different worlds. He's both a scientist, a neuroscientist at that, and he's an intuitive with a deep understanding of numerology and our chakras. He's also an expert at community building, which we think we can all agree that our world can use right now. How does he bring these different sides together? We have a fascinating conversation in store. Plus, we'll learn more about numerology and how we can use it to look at the upcoming 2020 election. And he'll be discussing his take on our chakras, which most likely will be different than anything you've heard before. Plus, his readings are like nothing you've ever experienced. See what they reveal about us. Let's start. How would you describe what you do? Well, I mean, it started for me, just undergraduate degree in psychology, advanced degree in neuroscience. So just understanding people has been a theme for me throughout my life. And got introduced to the idea of chakras in my 30s. And, you know, what I really like about that is it's it's kind of like an ancient psychological taxonomy. You know, it really provides like a framework framework for, you know, spiritual advancement. And there's ways to learn how to sort of like assess where people are at intuitively. And along the way, started hearing messages. And then just like in the last five or six years, numerology has sort of come into the picture. There's a lot of overlap between numerology and the chakras. And so the nice thing about numerology is that it's based strictly on your name and date of birth. So as someone, if you're not that intuitive, or you don't feel like you're that intuitive, you don't have to be to do numerology and and start to learn it and understand it. The other nice thing about numerology is that, you know, chakra is sort of, it's sort of like taking a picture of someone. Like if I take a picture of you today and I take a picture of you tomorrow, they're going to be different. Mm-hmm. And chakras are sort of like that, right? You can assess where someone is right now, whereas numerology is much more cycle-based. The most important numbers are for your whole life. It's a cycle for your life. And then there's also medium-term cycles and, and short-term cycles. It can give you a sense of the themes that you're going to encounter. And so I've just sort of, you know, been weaving these things together over time. I don't think there's anyone else doing a reading the way that you do a reading. I'm definitely doing my own thing. So one thing that that I certainly, you know, that is in the theory of chakras is that there's three, like for each chakra you have, there's actually three levels of the same chakra, the physical level, astral level, causal or soul level. So one of the teachers that I was with, you know, rather than trying to see if your chakras are aligned, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, look at each chakra and see if it's aligned within itself. I realized during that whole process, my hands know a lot more about healing than my mind does. So there was a lot of experimenting of like, how do I communicate with my hands to have it tell me what's going on? So a lot of my, like, especially the, the chakra readings, 
are largely hand and drawing based. Like my hands do the work and I just try to interpret what my hands have put down. With your drawings, they're unique to you. I wouldn't be able to understand them without your translation. Yeah, I mean, you know, that's something that's useful for people to know is that there's not, the mistake is to think that there's one answer. Don't limit yourself to that. The real thing is like, is it useful? I think that's really the criteria as opposed to, is it right? Like my drawing, you know, like if we were to have do some scientific study and we're able to measure it, it might be like not what it actually is, but it's proven to be useful and able to help me discern the information that someone needs. Well, I think what's so interesting about what you do, Michael, is that you're taking, we always talk about tools, right? So there's there's the tool of the chakra, there's the tool of the numerology, there's the tool of intuition, right? And almost like a musician, you take all of these dis- different piece parts and you weave them into your own composition. That's interesting. You know, we had just watched the uh, documentary on Quincy Jones. And I had never heard of a musical arranger before. Like, I just didn't know that that was a thing. And kind of like what it sounded like you were just describing me as, is like, I'm arranging the, the different methods and until like what the person needs. And that, that's probably true. It's about people's individual journeys and trying to give them some idea of like what their, what their choices are and what they're contending with. Mm-hmm. That's what actually matters in the end. Which the is answer. also why I believe that for every person, a different tool is going to be most useful. Certain ones end up resonating more than others and then hopefully help them on their journey. That has definitely been true for me. I have repelled astrology, like repelled, like actively. I I know because we've had the conversation. Yeah, but but I've gotten accurate readings from people using it. But for whatever reason, for me, I have not, I've not only have I not been pulled to it, I have actually like pushed away from it. So there is something about just trusting the thing that you're drawn to. Oh, that is so so true. Just define simply, what is numerology? It's helpful to understand the origins of numerology. It really started, you know, like 3,000 years ago-ish in ancient Babylon. At that point, we still were developing the alphabet. So at that time, of course, there wasn't such a distinction between science and religion or, you know, mythology or, you know, any of those things. And so the alphabet sort of got formed in the sense of also it being related to the numbers. Each letter is assigned a number, and then you can translate the letters in your name to numbers, and then you can basically reduce that down to a a single number. The alphabetic order that we live with now is not random. I never thought about that. I was just going to say, that's a new way of thinking about the alphabet. Yes, the alphabet was ordered intentionally, as opposed to it being like a random order. Different different alphabets have different numbers. There's also two systems. So like the Babylons, the Chaldeans were there, and they had a like a different system. And it's sort of like Latin. Latin exists, but no one speaks it, right? And so there's very few people that really use it and there's much less written on it. It's harder to find, harder to learn. And Pythagoras, like if you've heard of Pythagoras theorem mm-hmm. or geometry, it's the same dude, right? So he like started a school around all of this and studied numbers and studied its relationship to this practice. The Western modern system is attributed to him. When you say that things were done on purpose, how? Aside from them, you know, studying it and focusing on the number three and like, what's it mean? And that's relationship to a triangle and the relationship of notes and sound. They just were like in it for years and years and years. You know, again, I, I kind of, I really do get rooted in this idea of like, is it, does it make it true? You know, and so like a story that I, I hold on to is, you know, I was at a Native American uh, Sundance, like a real one in South Dakota. And one of their beliefs is that if a, a woman is menstruating and is present at the Sundance, it will actually suck the life out of the medicine man. So the men are sequestered who are dancing, right? So they are off on their own. They don't eat or drink for three days. And then during the day, they're dancing. 
resting in the heat. And the medicine man was, you know, normally when I think of a medicine man, I think of like a 70 year old guy, but you know, the way the circumstances were, this was like a 30 year old guy, like a strapping big dude. Right. And out of nowhere, like he's starting to have problems. Like people are starting to go to him, right. To see like what's going on. He like, he can't quite stand. And I'm just witnessing, right. I didn't know what was going on. And all the old ladies scramble. They start looking in the bathrooms. They start looking wow. for the girls who are probably menstruating. Apparently there were two girls that were, and the old ladies got them off the premises. And then like, he was fine. You know, I've, I've really held on to that because like, do I really believe that there's some universal law that says that if women are menstruating, it sucks the life out of the medicine man? I have a hard time believing that there's like some universal law of that, but because we believe it, it starts to become true. Is numerology like, is there some universal law to it? Or is it because we believe it and it's been believed and it's been ingrained in you know, the alphabet and everything else that it starts to materialize, like manifesting? Right. And I know for you, you've really incorporated numerology into your own life and you've been able to see patterns and so forth. I've examined pretty much every relationship that I've had, especially like romantic relationships to just look, because like if I look at the chakras, I've dated all the different chakra types. But when I go to numerology, there is like a number that just like pops out like way above everything else. And it's wow, like that's I mean, pretty incredible. And it made sense. It's not like a random number. It was like, it was a number that made, yeah, like I, I am drawn to that. And when you say that, do you mean it's their, their name? adds up to so there's yes yeah, so, so there's two parts to this right so again the idea of cycles it's all about cycles some are lifelong cycles some are medium-term cycles and then some are shorter and you have your date of birth which is composed of three cycles the month the day and the year and then you have your name which is usually composed of three cycles a first name middle name and last name but there isn't always a middle name and if there's more than one middle name it gets collapsed into a single middle name so the numbers are obviously already numbers so there's no conversion so let's take 20 20. If we were to use that date, we have to reduce that to a single number. So it would be two plus zero plus two plus zero, which is just four. And that's a single number. So we stop. So we would do that for the day, the month, and then the year individually. And then we would then combine those and then add up the reduced numbers for day, month, year until we get a single number. So if we use your date of birth, that is your, then your life path number. And that's the most important number in numerology. It's sort of like what you're here to learn or master. Well, why don't we talk about that for a second and, and sort of yes. where your journey started and how you got here? Well, you know, as a kid, I, you know, probably the thing to know about me is that there's really three paths that I've been on that have up until recently been very separate. One has been an intuitive path. One has been a community building path. And then the third has been this scientific path. And they've all been kind of happening in parallel. And the last five years or so has been this integration where these three parts of me have been, you know, coming together. Well, I would love to know, like, as a child, were you intuitive? Yes. Yeah, I was. You know, I wasn't surrounded by people that were talking about energy or chakras or astrology or, you know, anything like that. I just had experiences uh, that I knew were odd. Like what? Tell us, like... Give, give an example. I mean, you know, I would know things about people, like even as like a really young kid, I had this relationship with like me versus my brain. You know, I, like I would tell my brain, I'd give it an assignment, like go figure this person out. Right. And like in a couple of days, I would like things about them would be in my head that would make sense. So in neuroscience, there is, there's this uh, effect called a spotlight effect. And you know, the, the short version of that is, you know, if you were going to look for your kids or your spouse in a crowded area and you saw that person in the distance, they would sort of like have like this little glow around a little spot like it would like pop out from all the other people what i found for myself is that people that would turn out to be important in the future would have that same spotlight effect or places that would be significant would have that same effect so before i knew 
do them, I was already having that spotlight effect. I love that. I, I told Robin I had that feeling when my I saw my my husband for the first time. I always call it like the WTF feeling. It's like, <laughs> but like you, know, you can't really describe it. For you, it's like you're seeing that spotlight effect. For you know Karen, I know it was just was a feeling. And for me, it's like I don't. I walked in my house, or when I met my husband, it's a little bit like gravity, right? I mean, mm-hmm. you, you just have something pulling you to that, and it doesn't even have to be romantic, right? It could just be a powerful oh, friendship, totally. or yeah. right, just someone that. Oh. It feels like almost like an unlocking, you know, because I've had it. It's like with friends or places. It, it's it feels like something gets unlocked. It's like I, you know, but you don't know why. That's a great way to describe it. Yeah, because I've even noticed it with people that have been bad people in my life. It's wow. about significance as a opposed yeah. to goodness. That's <laughs> right. That's right. Yeah. You know, I love that this this show is called Seeking, right? Because that I would say that that really describes me that probably the best is just that I've always been seeking the truth and I just haven't limited myself to what avenues are. So this, you know, the science and the intuition, they all kind of, it's all about seeking the truth. You know, my childhood was not easy. I was a lost little kid. And like the more I tried to fit in, the worse it got. Right? So as a 13 year old, I got exposed to a process called community building, changed my life. Basically, rather than waiting for some disaster like 9-11 or something for people to come together, there's ways to do this intentionally. There's ways for us to build trust and vulnerability and connection. Experiencing that acceptance was really transformative. It's kind of amazing how quickly that you can you know, build a, a strong connection with a group of people. Or learning that when you were 13. Then how did Well, that- so, th- so that's become a whole theme of my life is, you know, wanting other people to be able to experience that. Later, as I got into college, I discovered research and then I discovered, you know, neuropsychology and loved it. And, and then found myself after graduate school, my mom, my mom got cancer during graduate school. So that was a big milestone. She passed away. It took me 10 years to really get moved through that. How did you get involved with chakras? So my mom passed away after that was this beginning of relationships starting to become about energy. I mean, the chakras actually was not the first thing that really got me. The first thing that got me was mediumship. I was just going to say, I know we talked about that because I mean, a lot of it was shaped from your mom's passing. It was, you know, I was, you know, in one of these personal development programs, there's always these paired, you know, sharings, right? You're sharing with someone and and I shared with this person before. So she had some sense of the journey I was on. I was like, look, this is amazing. If I know what I want to create, but you know, I don't, you know, I don't, I don't know what that is. A lot of people don't. I mean, really. So she introduced me to the Omega Institute. So I was like, okay, I'll check it out. And it turned out that they were having something in New York City in Mm -hmm. two weeks or something. There was only four choices. And the choice that popped out of me was James Van Proc. And he's a a, a psychic medium, right? Really clear within an hour of that weekend that there's either like 30 people that are plants in the (laughs) audience, right? To make it seem real, right? Or this is like, wow, there's something to this. Yeah, because there's just detail that you just, I don't know, you just can't up with that detail. And the nice thing about him is that he wants people to realize that this is all within our own grasp, right? It's not something just special and unique to him. You know, that was my first experience of connecting to someone that had passed. That really started the the journey of intentionality. Can I just ask one question about your life path numbers? Can you just give me some insight, like what your life path number was when you came in and then shifted? So the five most important numbers are your life path, which is 
based on your entire date of birth. The second most important number is your, it's called your expression or destiny number. And it's basically the same thing as your life path, except for your full name. The difference between those generally is that the life path is the thing that you're here to learn, right? And what, and the opportunities and challenges that you're going to encounter. The expression is more like the method of how you're going to accomplish your life path. So it's the skills and weaknesses that you bring to the table to accomplish your life path. And then within your name, there's vowels and consonants. And so they break out the vowels and consonants, the vowels being the soft part of you, your heart's desire or your soul urge, right? Like what is the thing that without it, you're, you're going to feel empty or discontent. And then there is the outer you, the personality number, which is based on the consonants. So the, the, the number I've left out is the birthday number, which is essentially like a special skill. And also it shows up in some of the medium term cycles. That would be the number that you would expect to have all these intuitive intentionality things like starting to show up. So interesting. That was a really good breakdown. Where did the chakras then come in? Yeah. So several years of the mediumship and psychic development, then that started to shift. It was almost like a push towards the chakras. There's a a teacher, uh, Richard Jelasek, and he has a book called Eye of the Lotus. And he had a training and it was, it was the right training for me. It's very like psychology oriented in the sense of like, what's the psychology of the chakras and all, but also like hands-based healing and remote healing. It was it was the thing I was pulled to. Another way to think of a chakra is really like a form of consciousness, right? Mm-hmm. And so we can disconnect ourselves from an aspect of our consciousness if we want, but it's as a concept or as, a, as an entity, it's still there. I always thought there were seven. And you look at the chakra system as there's 12. Yeah. So this is where we get into like, are there actually chakras or not? And if there are, then why are there different systems? Again, this is where I come back to being useful. But the system that I have fallen back on is really rooted, I guess, in the, the Kabbalah. Everyone can find a book that talks about the first seven. Like, And then the question is, what else is there? Cindy Dale, she has a couple of books that talk about many of the different chakra systems that are out there. I don't think it matters. Again, I think it's what you're drawn to. When we first met through you doing a reading for me, we had never talked. You did it all via email. You just, you knew my name. And I think that was one of the first times for me that I realized that somebody could tap into my energy without physically being there or even being on video. So Michael, for, for those, who don't know how you work. So the process, the way it's existed now is that someone will find me and what I'll ask for is birth certificate name. So unlike astrology, you don't need the time or location of birth. You just need the date. So birth certificate name, the name that they, you know, you use now or any other name that feels particularly significant. And then if I've made a connection, then I don't need a picture, but every once in a while I'll ask, you know, can you just send me a picture just so I make sure that like I'm reading you and, you know, not somebody else. And then what I'll do is I'll do the chakra assessment and I leave the numerology for a second. And I do that just so I'm not biasing myself by what, you know, what the numbers are. I'll do two drawings. So one is the individual chakra assessment, the physical, astral, and causal level of a particular chakra. And if it's like a straight line, then it's, you know, you're basically in this place of you're in alignment around that and the themes of that chakra. If it's sideways or crooked or whatever, then there's some kind of internal conflict where you're not, you're unclear about how you want to express the themes. So that sort of gives me a clue as to like what you're dealing with. And so I do that for all 12. And then there is still some just strictly intuitive things where I'll just see, it's almost like, what would I, what would I need to do to straighten all the lines? And like, I just get pulled to where's the starting place. And then I do a second drawing, which focuses on the domains of consciousness. It's often spoken that we have 
have four aspects of being a human being, spiritual, mental, emotional, and physical. And you know what I have found is that there's really separate realms of consciousness in each of those. And so I'll, you know, sort of like draw what it looks like in terms of like your four realms of consciousness. And then I'll draw a chakra profile for each of those domains. And what I mean by that is like how prominent is each chakra being expressed in that domain? I know it's hyper detailed, but no, it's so fascinating. Yeah. I mean, it's like you're 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 creating a mental x-ray, yes, right? Of of the parts of them that you can't physically see. I can't tell you the answer, right? It's really all these answers, it's internal conflict. It's it's always a choice of how you want to express yourself. But what are the choices that are in front of you? And trying to illuminate that in a way that is grounded in some fundamental truths about who the person is. Going back to what you said, it like it's really an x-ray of your soul. That's what you're giving people. I mean, it, so you start with the chakra aspect. I love what you said about how you wanted to do that first, because are the other aspects a little bit more scientific, right? Because you're 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 using numerology. But how do they com- do they complement each other? The thing that the chakras do that the numerology doesn't is it tells me where you're in conflict and where you are along your spiritual advancement. The numerology is different in that it's like, what what is your mission here? What did you really come here to do? And what is life going to expose you to? We see that through the life path number. What are the major strengths that you have and what are you bringing to the table? You know, the birthday and the expression number. You know, it is possible to see what is coming intuitively, but the numerology also does that in a way that you don't have to intuit it. They complement each other, I think, very well. Numerology is about the opportunities and challenges. It's never about the outcomes. If anyone's giving you a reading that says this is what's going to happen, you should be cautious. Yeah, this is just guidance. So let's talk about the election of this year. I looked at a bunch of presidents rather than just Biden and Trump to get a sense. It's it's the benefit of having an Excel sheet to to do it all, right? So another thing to understand about numerology is the analogy that I think about is like a fireman holding a hose to the fire and the water pressure. And so there's different levels of water pressure, right? And so if there's more water pressure, it's harder to hold it, right? On target. So numbers one through nine are, it's like a normal intensity. It could be positive or it could be destructive. There's always two, mo- like you see that in the chakras, you see that in numerology, there's always the option of a negative expression or a positive expression. And then in numerology, there's also numbers that are called karmic debt numbers. There's four of them. And those numbers have greater intensity, right? It's a harder hose to hold. And one of the differences between a karmic debt number and a normal number is that, I mean, there's a lot of theory around like why you'd have a karmic debt number. I mean, the, the, the typical explanation is that you're making up for or trying to balance out some past life transgression or experience, right? And, you know, maybe that's true. Maybe it's not. What what does seem to be clear for sure is that you are, you will have to deal with the negative expression of that number. It's not about punishment, I don't think. It's about, you have to deal with the negative and ideally you get to a point where you don't have to do that anymore. But like, if you just have a five, for instance, you could just be expressing that positively the whole time. If you have a 14.5, which is a karmic debt version of that number, you will have to deal with the negative aspects of that number. And then there are numbers that are more powerful than that, which are called master numbers, which are for sure 11 and 22. And then some people think also 33. And then some people think any double digit number. And that's a whole conversation in itself. Master numbers are also very challenging. So did you see patterns? 
So there's some it's yeah. interesting pattern. Before going into this, I wanted to get some context in the sense of like how common are karmic debt numbers. And so I looked at a bunch of presidents rather than just looking at Biden and Trump. The presidents that I, you know, I went back for everyone in this century. Well, actually, I guess I should say since 1900. You know, like William Taft didn't have any karmic debt numbers. Ulysses S. Grant did not have any karmic debt numbers. FDR did not. Really? Right, no no karmic debt numbers. JFK, no karmic debt numbers. All the other ones do. Wow, really? All the other ones have have some aspect of that. So Thomas Jefferson is really interesting because his life path is a 14.5, which is a karmic debt number. He also has a soul urge of a 14.5 and his birthday is a 13.4, which is a karmic debt number. So the, the five is about freedom and experiences. Some of the destructive aspects of that can be like addicted to experiences, so like sex or drugs or... But it's also about infringing upon freedom or struggling with that. So you've got Thomas Jefferson, right? Founding five they're all about like the freedom of people while also having slaves yeah. right so this duality of he's a slave owner if you want to call it a relationship had a relationship with a slave like he could never leave right had children with this slave and yet was, is considered this person who really espoused what it, you know for all men to be created equal you could argue that his whole life really was defined around this idea of freedom and mm-hmm. he was both taking away freedom and then fighting for freedom it's like a really interesting duality Abraham Lincoln also had a fourth five life path, right? And so again, freedom and civil war and slavery. And and so it doesn't necessarily mean that he was taking away the freedom, but he had to contend with that, right? That issue of the freedom of others being taken away. You could say it was defining of his life. So if we go to Lyndon Johnson, LBJ, his expression number and soul urge were both 13 fours. And so the 13 four karmic dot typically revolves around like work and willingness to work and work hard, but it also so I have found that 13 fours uh, are, well, the four is a healing number. It's the healers have fours. There's a lot of doctors that are fours. 13 fours tend to have to heal themselves physically uh, or emotionally or systems, right? And so, you know, I mean, LBJ had his desire was social justice. And then he was, of course, hampered by the Vietnam War and trying to like heal that situation. Well, didn't he also have to heal the nation after JFK was assassinated? He did. Right. Yeah, that's right. Exactly. Yeah. Richard Nixon, he had a... 16 seven soul urge so the seven is a very spiritual number embedding the chakras into this right it's like the seven pushes you towards the spiritual consciousness and the 16 seven in particular you have to navigate both the light and the dark the root of spiritual illness is lies it's like rooted on the lie that some people matter more than others spiritually that's a lie and of course having to deal with lies right then you got you have watergate right so like there's this interesting like the, the thing that defines the presidency seems to match the karma debt i mean that's the theme of this whole thing, right? Got Gerald Ford, he had a 13-4 and a 14-5. And, you know, when he pardoned Nixon, his justification was he thought it would be the thing that would heal the nation, right? Right. I think it's so interesting that there's the 14-5s and the 13-4s and that there's so much consistency. And is that common or not common? More than one karmic debt is really challenging. Just one is a challenge that you will notice. I mean, look, we could have a whole discussion about power and the people that gravitate to power and work to dominate. And, you know, the karmic debt number doesn't mean that they will be destructive, but they have to navigate that. So again, like with the lies, right? So if you have a 16-7 number in your chart, what I would say is that that person has had to deal with lies. They might be the liar. They may be, liars may be attracted to them and they don't realize it, but in some form, lies have been, end up being a theme that you have to navigate. Jimmy Carter had a 14-5. He's known for like his really good behavior, you know, and so maybe he navigated that. Can't come up with like, what is the thing for him? 
Ronald Reagan had a 16-7, again, lies. George H.W. Bush, right, the, the older George Bush, he, his life path was a 16-7, so, you know, lies. And then also he had a 19-1 expression number. The 19-1 is the comic that we haven't talked about. And that is really about power, the right use of power, power with versus power over, and mm -hmm. having to navigate that. And then you've got Bill Clinton. So he had the 14-5 and the 19-1. He also had a, two master numbers. So experiences and power, right? And so Monica Lewinsky, addicted to experience and then the right use of power. It wasn't a random person, it was his intern. When you bring up the 19-1, I actually thought there'd be more of that with the other, with, yeah. I mean, Woodrow Wilson had that. Calvin Coolidge had a 19-1. It's just interesting. They are coming up. Yeah. I mean, so like, you know, we've got George Bush, the younger, right? Yeah. So he had a 16-7. Obama had a 19-1 expression number and a 19-1 personality, right use of power. Wow. Power with versus power over. Now, some would, I think you would, you know, many would argue that his whole presidency was about the right use of power, while others would say that he just went off and did things through executive orders and to push his policies through. So then we get to Donald Trump. So I think that there's the most karmic debts that we have talked about to this point have been two. And he has four karmic debts in his five most important numbers. Okay. Let's... Wow. And you've, and you've actually said having two is tough. If we humanize him, he's had to contend with some really challenging numbers. So he has a 13-4 life path, which again is all about work, right? And doing your fair share of work and also the need for healing yeah. himself and, and others. 14-5 expression number again the need for experiences right addiction to experiences right so all the escapades the soul urge is a 16-7 so the lies <laughs> right they did and they just come out and then he also has a 14-5 birthday so he's got two 14-5s right the expression which is the most important number and then the birthday number which is like the special skill so it's like it's not surprising to see the history of all of his destructive experiences there's a lot because one number is it's noticeable especially when it's in your primary five numbers. And so to have four of them, that's a significant challenge. So we look at Joe Biden. He doesn't have any current debts in his five primary numbers. His maturity number, which sort of like comes into effect around 40, uh, which he's obviously well over. He has a 19-1, which is right use of power. He does have a, you know, a five soul urge. So again, wanting the experiences. He has a three personality, which the three is the most creative member. He has an eight expression number. Eight is similar to the one from a chakra perspective, a lot of third chakra, but more like the executive as opposed to the trailblazer. And then, you know, you have the right use of power, karmic debt, plus actual power. Wow, that is quite a look. I love putting it in this larger perspective. You looked at all these presidents and just to see where we are right now. The thing that's been most interesting to me in looking at this is that you really could look and see where that karmic debt showed up during their presidency in a very public way. They yeah. all had something that you could point to and said, there it is. And I know we're going to go into our readings, but one of the things in our last conversation that stuck with me when talking about what's going on and how can we all come together? One of the things that we know about social neuroscience is that people find their group. And so when we start talking about even just like some of the racial tension, racism is learned. That is true. But we can see a racial preference at three months in babies. So we come in with the equipment to identify our group. And we also know that when 
there's a lot of certainty and we feel safe, our affinity to our group sort of relaxes. And when there's more uncertainty, it intensifies. And we're obviously in a period of a lot of uncertainty. You know, what energy people will say is that we're like in this moment of like a great awakening. And maybe that's true. But I, I think we can even look at it just from a very practical, physical, you know, dimension. You know, our culture is a dominance-based culture. Dominance-based cultures emerge from this sense of scarcity, of resource scarcity, right? There's there's an absence of resources or there's a scarcity of resources and therefore the dominant are the ones that survive. Starting in the industrial revolution, what we see, right, is the population explodes. And so what I would argue is that we're really experiencing like a, a culture shift of one that is from this world of scarce resources to one in which there are abundant resources. And we've just never really stopped. Again, it's like the same thing with energy, right? Like I had this whole experience and then I was able to be intentional about it. And I think that that's what we've been doing for the last 200 years is that we've been going through these experiences of culture change, but we've never really been able to be intentional about it and to recognize where we are in this transition from this scarcity model to one of abundance. You know, what do we know about that? Well, it should shift from one of dominance to one of relation. You know, as technology continues to sort of like obsolete us, in terms of human labor being the driving force of the economy, you know, we're going to have to navigate that. So in one sense, it's going to get more uncertain. And so people are going to the group more and more. And, you know, it's just change at its pace that we're not, culture is not built to change that quickly. So I think the challenge for us is to be intentional about that shift and to be gracious with each other. The thing that I would recommend to folks is, you know, to get in touch with their own relationship with scarcity, try to recognize the ways in which it's actually not a scarce world anymore where we just haven't stopped to reorganize it. People are still experiencing scarcity, but they don't actually have to anymore. There's like 30 homes for every homeless person in the United States. There is more than enough. We just have to reorganize things in a way such that people are taken care of. Uh, and then the other thing is the real thing that we can do is to try to humanize people, especially those that we disagree with. I've been thinking about that a lot and actually discussing it with friends and family. So I wanted to make sure that we did discuss it today too. Yeah. Well, I think it's probably the most important conversation we can have because, you know, we're all going to experience this transition. I don't think there's any stopping it now. Well, and the tools that you use, your intuition, chakras, numerology, plus your community building and your scientific background, they're all saying somewhat of the same they're thing. All, they're all trying to come together. To, yeah. For me, it really is about this, all these paths integrating into one. Well, and it sounds like we have a lot ahead of us in 2020 and 2021. Let's talk then about our own paths. I mean, it could be interesting to look at why the two of you Ooh. work together so well. I love I that. Would, I would love that. Right? That'd be great. All right. So Robin, like if we start with your life path number, it's a three, which is the most creative number. It's like all that, you know, create something from nothing, also creating through possibility. And this is the thing that you are here really to do is to be on this path of creation. And what's interesting to me about your relationship with Karen is that, you know, when I do Karen's like chakra profile, like she is is what I would call like the master creator. She's, you know, strong in the second, the fifth and the 10th chakra. So the second chakra being creating something from nothing, the fifth chakra in a way being the most creative in some sense of like anything is possible. So I would imagine that Karen spends a lot of time waiting 
holding out, not making things final until the last moment, right? And yes, that's she does. A, yes, yes. Now that now see, so for people that are not like that, it drives them crazy. But for the creative person, that ensures that the thing that is meant to create has the time to do it. So people that can wield that effectively and not be uncomfortable by that uncertainty is a powerful creative tool. And it allows possibilities to emerge that would not be possible if you tried to make a decision right away. Karen is also very strong in the tense chakra. You know, it's blending the masculine and the feminine and this capacity to have the creation be the right blend of that and to co-create with the universe. And so simply even just creating through one's intention of envisioning something and just having it sort of like appear and like you couldn't necessarily track back to the steps that you did, but it showed up and it became the thing that it was supposed to do. So Karen would be very strong in that. From someone who, Robin, that you are on here to master the creative pathway, it would make sense that you would be with someone who embodies that. Oh, wow. Right? So much sense. So cool. Karen, so you are an eight light path. So the eight is really about the executive. A lot of third chakra stuff comes up with that, like manifesting, executing, right? So this is like the inverse of leaving uncertainty. So as the executive, right, you are having to find that certainty to execute on it, right? And find that moment uh, of when of when to execute versus when to create. Dealing with your own power and having your own vision. The other thing that is really what I love about the two of you working together is that the full name member, they're both sevens for both of you. And the word for a seven is a seeker. Oh my God. <laughs> are you kidding? I'm not kidding. What? Sevens are the seekers. That is really I thought you would like freaking that. cool. That that just <laughs> talk about validating. I'm gonna use that bite for a long time. Talk about that, the seven and the seeker. Well, I mean, look, when people write books about numerology, they, they try to give a label, like a theme to the, each number, right? And so the, the common theme of a seven is the seeker. You, you dig deep into things. You need time to contemplate. You know, you want to explore the universe. You know, you want to find true knowledge and wisdom, universal knowledge, as opposed to the quick answer. It's a number that pushes you towards the spiritual. In my view, it's the only number other than the master numbers that stimulate the chakras outside of one through seven. Unlike the six seven where you have to navigate the light and the dark the seven does not you may have access to both the light and the dark but you aren't forced to deal with that necessarily and so the same kinds of things that we described for the 16 seven where your life is defined in some way by having to deal with liars that doesn't have to be the case for sevens sevens are not always the most trusting people it's the it's the right number for what the two of you are doing for sure that's really that's phenomenal what else would i throw out there so karen you have a 13 four soul urge you'll have have to deal with the positive and the negative, right? So there's an element of healing and a need for healing. And then there's also an element of work. And, you know, when people really embrace the 13-4, they work themselves to death, which I would imagine is not a stretch to describe your life, but you work I would. That is so on point. And it's not even like you're being forced to do it. You actually want to do it, yep. right? And so- I mean, I have to tell her to take a break. I know. And Robin, I've never discovered a 13-4 where I could talk them out of doing that. And I I've let I've I, let it go of trying to like you know you should that's helpful to know because yeah. 
yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't really, it doesn't, it doesn't really seem to work. So Robin, whereas you, your soul urge is that of a one. And so one is that leader follows their own path. So it's a little bit different than the eight, right? So the, they're both, you know, you see a lot of third chakra qualities in the one and the eight. Ones, they're trailblazers in the sense that rather than having a vision, like the eight would have a vision, the one is just like going there, like discovering their own path. Sometimes ones make their lives harder than they need to. Conflict that isn't always necessary, but always a leader. Let's let's say it this way. The thing that would be missing from your life if you didn't do it would be that element of carving out your own path. If you didn't do that, it would feel like there was something missing. Wow. Mm. That's oh. what's fulfilling. And and that makes a uh, lot of sense for me. And, and actually right. what's interesting when you talk about the one and the eight being the vision and the way that we met and really what made us realize like there's something much more going on here than just like a great rapport was the fact that I knew that I was on this mission to carve out a new path. Mm -hmm. And Karen had the vision for a much bigger platform with seeking in mind. So Mm -hmm. when you talk about that, I mean, it makes me want to cry because that is what brought us together. And we said, wait a second, we are supposed to work together. Like there's not even a question. And we've complimented each other in that sense in so many ways too, because Robin, like when you were saying like the trailblazer, like I just think of like the Joan of Arc with the sword up going, I'm going, I'm doing this and having the courage. I admire her so much for having the courage to say, no, this is what I need to do on a soul level. I'm going to go off and do it. So with me having a vision of what I wanted to create, I was just like, I'm holding on to this one. I'm going with her. We need each other in that, in that sense. And I think we're still working together that way, right? So even just looking at your birthday numbers, it, it actually encapsulates what you both just described. Karen, you have an eight birthday, so the same as your life path. And the eight is sort of a special skill, right, or ability that you sort of come into the world with. Like the life path is going to expose you to the opportunity to be that executive and visionary. You also come with a lot of the skills to do that. And then Robin, you have a master number birthday, 22. And that is like the master builder. And what the master builder really does is bridges the spiritual and material world. Wow. Like that is actually the goal of the 22 and to do it at scale. God. That's unbelievable. What? So I can see why Karen would want to hold on to you. We knew it even before the numbers, but boy, that doesn't course. that help? I think that's the nice thing about it. It's not that you actually learned something necessarily, but it gives you something to hold on to about it and to be able to articulate it. And then ideally some way to be then intentional about it going forward. It's so validating. It just, exactly. it is. It gives you this guidance. Then we're here to, to actually to do, it. to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, I think, especially for beginner seekers and so we tie in some of the social neuroscience, what is the thing that causes us anxiety is uncertainty. And I think the temptation is to use these tools to reduce the uncertainty as if mm-hmm. the outcome can be told by the numbers or the astrology or the chakras. Now I don't have to deal with that uncertainty because it's known. And I think that is a mistake because A, I don't think the outcome is known, but what it can do is it can it can give you something to hold on to while you navigate that uncertainty and to create the outcome that you want as opposed to for lack of a better word, being victim to the outcome that occurs to you. And I love the word you used earlier, which was opportunities around the challenges. I believe you come in signing up for some of those when when you come in. And so rather than looking at them as like destiny or fate, looking at them as opportunities to learn, you chose coming in. So Michael, what is your goal now? Well, I'll just tell you what I'm doing. Bringing the numerology, I'm in a nine year, right? So like a lot of transitions, figuring out what I'm going to do professionally, personally. The way that I am creating right now is I am just 
trying to manifest the feeling that I am living out my life path. I'm letting the universe figure out what that is. And so as things show up, I'm trying to say yes to things like this conversation, right? Like yes. just, it shows up. I say yes. I just have a very clear intention. And I have found that having a clear intention of the feeling or the outcome that I want to experience is a more powerful way to manifest than to try to manifest a, a specific outcome. The things I care about is helping us navigate the cultural transition that I believe that we're in. You know, how do we do that peacefully? You know, we can see people trying to hold on to the way the world has been and can't work. So we're going to have to create something new. And and I guess on another note, so for those out there who hear this conversation, Michael, and might be interested in learning more about numerology, or the chakras, you, you know, you did mention some of the books that you learned as well, but the, what's the best way to learn about these ideas? My first advice would be do the thing that you're pulled to do. And then there are all kinds of books. So depending on what, you know, you want to dig into. So there's, you know, for chakras, you know, probably the starting place would be Anatomy of the Spirit by Carolyn Miss. And then for numerology, if you're kind of like analytical about it, there's a book published in the 90s by Goodwin. And then there's also Michelle Bachman, and I'm not sure I'm actually pronouncing her right. She's got some books. They're more accessible to the non-mathematically overly analytical. Thank you. Thank you for all of the preparation you did for today. Oh, that's right. I really, I really enjoyed it. And really, you've given us insight into our relationship and into ourselves, but you've also given everybody so much insight into just the inner workings of what's going on as a society in our world right now. And you've given everybody so much to think about. So thank you. Thank you. I really enjoyed it. Thanks, Michael. Thank you. Okay. All right. Bye. Bye. Hey!